Just open your Bible right in the middle. That should land you in the book of Psalms. And then go left uh, through Job. And you hit Esther. You're getting pretty close. And then Nehemiah chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave and get their attention. They'll get a Bible into your hands. And they've already got Nehemiah marked for you. So... Take advantage of that, and then please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Nehemiah chapter 8. All right, that's not the end of it. Hold your spot there. And then turn to an easier book to find in the New Testament, to the right, the book of John chapter 17. We'll read two verses One from each place. Nehemiah chapter 8, John chapter 17. And Nehemiah chapter 8, the verse we'll look at this morning is verse 10. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our God, to our Lord. Do not sorrow. And then here it is. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus, on that same subject, in John chapter 17 Verse 13, but now I come to you, he prayed to the Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they, speaking of us as his disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in them. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it's a living word because of your Holy Spirit, and we pray that As we study it this morning and we look at this subject of joy, that you would bear witness to it in each one of our lives, that you would instruct us, Lord, concerning this wonderful reality, this wonderful truth. And so we look to you, Lord. We look forward to communing with you as we study your word this morning. Speak to us personally, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, now that um, we've celebrated Thanksgiving Day and we're officially into uh, the Christmas season, as we do so, I'd like to kind of set the tone for the next three and a half weeks between now and Christmas and really, if possible, set a tone for some of us for the very rest of our lives Uh, by addressing the subject of joy. And, of course, joy is a great uh, theme associated with uh, Christmas. Every time we think of Christmas, it is to be the very thought of it, the birth of Jesus Christ into the world as a Savior for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, is intended to produce joy within us. As the angel spoke in Luke chapter 2 and said to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, what do you think of when I mention the word holiness? What would be the one or two or three things that instantly come into your mind at the mention of the word holiness? I'd venture to guess that perhaps not one in a hundred of us would respond to that question with the word joy. And yet, interestingly, in that passage in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the religious leaders declared to the people, this day is holy, to the Lord, and then declared to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is a very, very important part of 
a holy life. Jesus, again in John chapter 17, he spoke of his joy, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. And so Jesus is praying on the night before the cross, praying to the Father, and he prayed to the Father that as his disciples, our lives would be marked not just by joy, but that our lives would be marked by his joy. And Jesus lived the holiest life a person could ever live. Jesus is the living definition of holiness. And he longed for us as his disciples to possess that part of his holiness that's known as joy and that it would be fulfilled in us. And that word fulfilled that he uses there, it means to make full. He wants us to live our lives to possess to the full the joy that he possessed, that he experienced and he walked in. Now, that's his prayer for you. That's his prayer for me. Here this morning as we sit here today, say, well, I wonder what God, what Jesus would be praying for me, interceding for me. Well, we know what he did intercede for us, is that our lives would not only be marked by joy, but that our, mark, our lives would be characterized by the same joy that he possessed in his earthly ministry. I think that very, very often, for many of us uh, as Christians, we can tend to consider joy to be like an optional part of the Christian life. You know, we just get, you can just settle into like a joyless existence, a joyless Christian life. We can, we console ourselves in that condition. We think, well, you know, joy, it's a, it's a nice thing to have. I mean, it's a good thing to have, but it's not the end of the world if you don't have uh, joy. And, you know, you just learn to live without it. But as we are going to learn here this morning, joy isn't just a blessing in the Christian life, but it's a necessity in the Christian life. I'm going to talk for a moment about what joy is and what it isn't. Because if we're going to talk about joy, we need to understand what it is. And that's very, very important and almost as important what it isn't. And I think it's very important to realize that joy and happiness are two entirely different things, at least as the the Bible uh, looks at that, and certainly the way that it's expressed in the culture. So happiness, as we express it in kind of the daily of our life or the weekly of our life, depending on how melancholy you are, but happiness as it's kind of uh, goes on and how it's defined, uh, by our culture and in our world, happiness is an emotion. And it is the emotion that we feel when our circumstances are favorable. So an example might be if we were in um, March or April and we go in to get our taxes done and we realize we're going to get a refund, an unexpected tax refund. And that news the bookkeeper tells us or wherever we figure out our own taxes and we discover that we're going to get a refund and we're so happy, happy, happy over that. Here it comes, $600, can't be, oh, out of the blue, fabulous. What are we going to do with it? And then the very next day the transmission goes out in your car. $600 just right out the window, gone. Circumstances change, unhappy, unhappy, uh, unhappy. And uh, so happiness just flies away, and it'll stay away until some new favorable experience or circumstance occurs in our life. Sometimes it happens when you're dating. You're dating someone, you really like them, happy, happy, happy. And then they break up with you, and, uh, and they end the relationship, and... Uh, Suddenly, our happiness is completely washed away by the sorrow of that great event, that change in circumstances. And because my happiness is dependent upon favorable outward circumstances in life, happiness is a very, can be very unstable in life. It can be very inconsistent in life. It really does come and go. So you've got one set of circumstances that produces happiness in me today, and then that 
same happiness becomes a victim of a completely different set of circumstances five minutes later, a day later, a week later, and it's just the way that it is. But as the Bible teaches related to joy, Christian joy is something that's far deeper than happiness because it isn't dependent upon our external circumstances. It comes from favorable internal realities that God has brought into our lives. And because this joy is based upon what God has given to us and what God blesses us with, Joy always lies beyond the reach of the circumstances in our life. All of the circumstances can change by the minute, by the day, by the hour, however often they can change. And this joy in our lives, because the source of joy is unchanging, needs never to change in our life. It's intended to be a constant in a Christian's life. We may not always be happy. But we can always, or intended to always be, filled with joy. And so we've got these joy-producing realities that God gives to us, again, far beyond the reach of the circumstances of life. And so they're consistent. And I want to talk for a moment about the source of this joy in our lives as Christians. In other words, where does it come from? Christian joy isn't based supremely upon our physical circumstances, but it is based supremely on two great unchanging things in our life. There's nothing in our life that isn't uh, changing apart from these things. I mean, our bodies change, our minds change, our life changes, our circumstances changes, our financial picture changes, our family life changes. Everything's changing all of the time. And so for joy to remain consistent, it has to be present in our life based upon something or someone that doesn't change. And the two great unchanging things in our life that are the source of joy is, number one, First, the Holy Spirit himself, who's come inside of our lives as Christians to live within us. And when he comes inside of our life, he brings a certain quality of life into our life. And Galatians chapter 5 tells us the fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, is described there. And Paul wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then there's that word, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. So the first source of joy is found in the unchanging person of the Holy Spirit who brings joy into our life. And the second is found in the sure and unshakable promises of God that are found in His Word. What the Bible says is true about my life because of my faith in Jesus. All of the promises in the Bible that are now ours because of our faith in Jesus. Is there all a cause for joy? And those promises never change with the circumstances of our life. They're always sure. They're always yea and amen. And because God never changes and his word never changes... Joy can remain a constant in our life. And that's why Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Well, you can't say that to me. Paul, you don't know my circumstances. He doesn't need to know my circumstances. He knows we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and he knows we have the promises of God. So we have unchanging reasons and sources for joy within our life. The cause for our joy never changes, and so Paul writes what he writes. It's interesting that the fact of the matter is we can be sad emotionally and still be filled with joy in our spirit. It's like a paradox, but it's true. I can be sad emotionally over a circumstance that's occurring in my life, and yet deeper still in my life, Joy is reigning within my heart, that new nature and that new nature that the Holy Spirit has brought into my life. 
They say, well, where do we see that in the Bible? I'll give you the greatest example in the whole Bible, in Jesus himself. Isaiah chapter 53, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet, in John chapter 17, he speaks of his joy, continual joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You mean you can despise the shame of your circumstances? You can endure the cross, the disrespect of the cross, the pain of the cross, the brokenheartedness of the cross, and yet underneath all of it a person's joy can remain untouched? Absolutely. What are some of the promises of God that we can rejoice in, whatever our circumstances are in life? What are the promises of God that lie far beyond the reach of the circumstances of our life? Whether those circumstances are personal, whether they're national, or whether they're international. Well, here's some of those promises concerning our past life and the sin of our past. The fact that God has overwhelmed our past sin with a finished salvation and with a complete forgiveness. The fact that every time I look into my past as a Christian, that I need never again see or focus on a single sin of my past, but every time I look into my past, All I need to see is the shed blood of Christ, his sacrifice upon the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. What a cause for joy that is to realize that my sin has been completely forgiven, that it's been washed away, and I'll never come into contact with it ever again. That's a cause for joy. Concerning not just our past, but what about our right now, our present? We live in the confidence that Jesus has set us free from every single bondage of sin in our lives. Jesus declared, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. He's made us into a completely new creation. We're not the people that we used to be. Oh, we're not... We are not the people we're going to be. One day we get into heaven. But we are definitely not the people we used to be. We're a new creation. As Paul wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And from the time that I get saved until the time that I one day enter into heaven, the Bible teaches that I am absolutely kept by God during that season. That's a cause for joy. I don't keep myself. My confidence of one day being in heaven is not in my circumstances or in myself, but in God's keeping power in my life. And then we look ahead because of our faith in Jesus. We're able to live with the absolute confidence of one day being in heaven. No Christian needs to ever doubt it, that one day we will stand on that glassy sea and we will give our praise and give glory to God the Father and to His Son. And our future presence in heaven, the Bible teaches, is so sure that God already sees us glorified. You realize that? He speaks of my presence in heaven in the past tense. That's how sure a salvation in Christ is. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, Moreover, whom he, that is the Lord, predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
We have the joy of having a personal relationship with God that God's completely committed to, knowing that he's always with me, he's always for me, he's always working everything together for good in my life. That's a cause for joy. And one of the great things about walking with the Lord for a little while is you look, we all have a history of things that look like there's no way he can work that together for good. That's always going to be a scar. That's always going to be a wound. It will always scream inside of my heart and inside of my mind. There's no way that that can ever be overwhelmed by anything and turned into anything good or to where I could give praise for for that situation that occurred in my life. And then sure enough, God comes in and he begins to work on all of his beauty. And we're able to look back on it and say, Lord, I learned things about you, about your goodness, about your faithfulness, about your grace that I would have never learned any other way except for what you did in that circumstance. We have the privilege of prayer, day or night, being able to just stop any time In a mall, Black Friday. In the midst of insanity. In an instant, begin to pray to the Lord. And instantly we have his attention. And he's listening to our prayer. And he answers our prayers. And he speaks to us. And he exchanges our prayer with his peace in our lives. And on and on and on the list goes. All of these blessings that are ours that can never be taken away from us by a circumstance in life. You see, we need not and we should not ever allow our joy to become a casualty of our circumstances. Because the source of our joy as Christians is always above our circumstances and greater than our circumstances. Let me talk for a moment about the blessedness of joy. And I think it's important to talk about that. To walk in joy is a blessed life if for no other reason than it is, it is the life of Jesus and it is to live a life like his. Again, we can tend to not to associate joy with the life and the ministry of Jesus. You say, what are the, what are the top three things you think of when you think of Jesus? Well, we think, okay, you know, sorrow and despised, a man of sorrow, a man of grief and, and the cross and the rejection and the abuse and, and ill behavior of the religious leaders and so many others and, and, and all. And so often, we can tend not to even think that he lived a life of joy, that his life was marked by joy. And he knew that that would be something that we would potentially underestimate related to his life. And so he speaks about it there in John chapter 17, verse 13. These things I've spoken to you in there. And then he speaks about it again, excuse me, in John chapter 15, verse 11, where he said, These things I've spoken to you, to us as disciples, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now you stop and think about that for a moment. Think about all that Jesus went through in his life and and ministry, the physical abuse, the emotional pain, the rejection, again, the disrespect that he was showed, the very Son of God, he was treated in this way. Nobody likes to be treated in, in that way. Think about all of the heartache that he witnessed in this world. This world has fallen. It's broken. He comes out of perfection into this world and, and to experience it in a way that he never had uh, before. He'd experienced all the shortcomings and the failures of other people, even those who loved him most and, and that he considered to be his friends. His disciples ended up denying him and abandoning him at the very moment of his greatest need on the morning of his crucifixion. And yet through all of it, he never, ever lost his joy. And I think it's good to remember that when Jesus prayed about his joy and wanting us to participate in his joy, 
that he prayed that prayer on the night before the cross when he knew what all was coming. The cross did not rob him of a deeper joy that was occurring in his life. We must never, ever get it into our minds that true spirituality or deep spirituality can only be expressed in some kind of a somber, uh, overly sober and uh, joyless kind of Christian life because clearly Jesus is teaching and his prayer reveals that he does not want to be known by joyless disciples. It's bad advertising. And it's needless advertising. And he does not want to be known as the um, head of some joyless religion. He doesn't want to be known for that. He wants to be known for a, a joy-filled religion. And so to be filled with joy is to be like Jesus. Joy is a mark of deep spirituality. And there's a power to joy. There's an attractiveness to joy that sometimes we underestimate. But Jesus never, ever underestimates it. We're attracted uh, to joy-filled people. Let's say you get invited to some kind of a gathering, and maybe there's a large room everybody's in, maybe a hundred people, and you're all acquaintances on some level, and so everybody breaks off into several different groups that are clustered together and chit-chatting, and they're talking about different things, and and you happen to get caught in a group of people who are uh, either lamenting the condition of the world for the tenth time that day or they're lamenting the condition of their bodies, or they are um, talking about some, you know, uh, aspect of theology that has no, um, you know, practical importance related to your life except for spiritual eggheads to talk about, and you're dying in the conversation. You know, things like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, And this is going on and on. And then somewhere else in the room, one of the groups of people erupts in laughter and joy. And immediately what happens? Everyone else in the room wants to leave their group and join that one. They automatically wonder, what in the world got said over there to produce that? Where did that joy come from? And they seem to be having a lot more fun in life than I am. I want to be cut, get out of my group and I want to become a part of that group, at least to draw closer to it, to eavesdrop on it. And that's the power of joy. And Jesus knows it. And when a Christian is marked by joy, it makes the unsaved world curious. It can even drive them crazy a little bit, which is good. They want to know what in the world are we about and what in the world is the source of that joy because you're working at the same stinking job that I am. You live in the same lousy apartment complex or neighborhood or whatever that I live in. You've got the same health problems that I have. And yet you have a joy that I don't possess at all. And it can make them want to come and become a part of your group to become a Christian. You know, not everybody gets saved because their greatest concern is the forgiveness of their sin and that one day they want to get into heaven. You realize that? For some people get saved, that's not the greatest concern on the morning that they get saved. One day they'll grow to appreciate that more than anything else. But it's not always a front-burner issue for a person when they get get saved. Some people are so on the brink emotionally, so in need of joy and meaning and purpose in life, that it is that that attracts them to Jesus and to Christianity first. And the world that we live in is in need of a supernatural source of joy. And the only, and the need is only going to get greater and greater as time goes by. And Jesus wants them to see that joy in us. 
you ever travel internationally, something interesting happens. Um, one of the things that you'll discover when you travel internationally and you land in some foreign country, that you discover that Americans are the loudest and the happiest and the most gregarious and most expressive of their happiness of all tourists in the whole wide world. In every restaurant they come into, say, oh, the Americans have arrived. In every cafe, here they are. When they get on the subway or the underground, it's a group of Americans have come into our car. <laughs> you know, immediately, the first few times I kind of encountered it, I was a little embarrassed by it, especially in Europe, which is so joyless in my opinion. And uh, so largely stoic. You go to Europe, you better bring your own joy. They're not handing it out over there. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful as can be, come on. But by and large, a spirit of joy, mm-mm. You better load those songs on your iPod and bring them with you. It used to be kind of a little bit of an embarrassment because I'm a reserved person. I would, you know, that's not me by nature to make a scene, whatever the scene might be. But now whenever I'm someplace like that and a group of loud, boisterous, happy Americans burst on the scene, I think to myself, good for you. Let her rip. You are unique in all of the world on the issue of happiness. Don't let anyone ever rob you or change you or make you like everyone else. That's my feeling now. I just bask in it. I don't go over there and join it. I haven't gotten that far. But I celebrate it with them. And so it is with joy in a Christian's life, which is even more powerful than happiness. And the life of joy is God's desire for our lives. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, Now may the God of hope, <clears throat> excuse me, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me speak for a moment to the necessity of joy. And this brings us to our verse in Nehemiah. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this teaches us that joy is not only needed in order to properly represent Jesus in the world, and it is, but this joy is also our strength. And so when it says there that the joy of the Lord is our strength, the word strength means stronghold. It means fortress. In other words, they were declaring to God's people under the old covenant that joy is a stronghold, it's a fortress, it's a refuge, it's a place of safety, it's a protection in our lives as God's people in this fallen world. And it is. Joy is vital in protecting our emotional health. It is vital in protecting our mental health. It is vital in protecting our physical health. It is vital in protecting our spiritual health. In the midst of all of the spiritual warfare we can find ourselves in, in the midst of all of the heartbreak that we can experience in this broken world that we live in. And it is a, a absolutely vital ingredient in what is needed in order to successfully finish this race that God has called each of us to. I think it's very instructive that the Apostle Paul, you, there's nobody more serious about being a Christian and finishing his race well than the Apostle Paul ever was. And he spoke about one of the keys uh, 
to his finishing well was that he never lost his joy. In Acts chapter 20, he spoke to the Ephesian elders and he said, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah speaks to us in Nehemiah and that teaches us that joy is a necessity in our life. It isn't optional. We must have joy from the Holy Spirit as a protection and as a stronghold every bit as much as we need love from the Holy Spirit and we need peace from the Holy Spirit. Now let's also spend a moment talking about the place of faith in living a joy-filled Christian life. We know that at any moment in time for us as Christians, we can stop and ask in prayer to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke and he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, comparing earthly fathers with himself, and we do know how to give good gifts to our children. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus promised, we ask for a fresh refilling and we will be freshly Refilled, And as we've already seen, we know that joy is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, a part of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the Bible teaches in 1 John that we have this confidence that if we ask anything of God according to his will, that he hears us. And that if he hears us, that we know that whatever we ask, that we have the petition that we have asked of him. So anything we ask of God that is within his will, we know that God has given that to us immediately. And we know that a fresh filling with the Holy Spirit is exactly that in our lives. And so when we ask God to freshly fill us with his Holy Spirit and with joy, we know that we are instantly given that joy. We possess it. And now all that's required to experience that joy is to exercise it by faith. I'll never know that joy is there unless I exercise it by faith. Sometimes we can express joy by just shouting out to the Lord, giving him praise and giving him worship. Lord, I just worship you. I praise you. I rejoice in you. Your word says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I choose to do that right now. I praise you, Lord. I, uh, I shout to you with joy. And then as we do that, you know what happens? As we choose to exercise our joy, we discover that it was sitting there just waiting to be expressed by faith. It was there all the time. But I never knew it until I chose to express it by faith. Sometimes we could say to the Lord, Lord, I choose today to exercise supernatural joy by giving a smile and a joy-filled greeting in Jesus' name to every person I talk to. He said, that's what I want to do, Lord. I want that to flow out of my life. And then as we head out into the day, as we choose to do it, we discover that the joy is right there waiting to be expressed. We discover we could have been smiling all along. We could have been saying encouraging, blessed things to people all along. It was just sitting there waiting for that joy to be expressed, whether through our countenance or through our words. Or sometimes we can talk to our own soul. Lord, it looks like 
the world's going to hell in a handbasket all around me. But I thank you, Lord, that you rule human history, that your promises are yea and amen. I've read the book, end of the book, Lord. I know how all of it ends. I know you're sovereign over all of human history. And I know that my life is in your hand and that I am on the right side in all of this. You're going to work all things together for good in my life. And so I choose not to allow my personal circumstances or the circumstances of the world to rob me of my joy. I choose a life of joy instead today. And as you do that, you discover the joy is there. I think it's a key issue. You see, we have the joy, but sometimes we'll never experience it and express it until we choose to. So I'm not that kind of a person. That's not your problem. I'm a melancholy. That's not your real problem. The real problem is you hide behind that as an excuse. The joy is sitting there. Waiting to be expressed. The question is, will I choose to express that joy? Will I choose joy for my life than these other alternatives? Don't wait for a feeling. Exercise the joy and the feeling will come. Don't act like what you feel like. Act like what you want to feel like. And then you watch the emotions, it'll follow. And you're not being phony when you do that. You say, I I would feel like, I don't feel like, I don't feel joyful. I feel phony if I were to smile at someone. No, you're not being phony. You're being obedient to represent Christ in this world. And as we step out in faith to do that, we will always discover the power and the ability to do that. Joy is a choice, and it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for that joy, but then step out in faith that I have it, and then choose to respond to the circumstances with joy. And sometimes a a person, some of us in the room perhaps, we can have so neglected joy that the joy muscle is atrophied, just from non-use. I mean, there may be some of us that sit here today and you say, there hasn't been an utterance or an expression of joy on my countenance, my face, in weeks or months or even years. That's how atrophy joy is related to a person's life. A person can feel like it almost isn't there anymore. And so then it starts, it can feel weird to, to begin to use it. All right, then start small. Just smile at the first three people you see in the morning in your home. And then the next day, do that, but then smile at the first three people you meet at work. And you'll discover the joy is there. And you'll discover that it feels good. And you'll discover that it feels right and that it's as addictive as melancholy is. And then you'll be off and running. Sometimes we need to say to ourselves, by faith, I'm going to give a joyful response in this situation or to this conversation. I'm not going to be drawn down into what this is here. I'm going to, I'm going to respond in joy. And the more negative the conversation or the more negative the issue that we're in the middle of, the more important it is that we respond with joy. Because joy is a gift from God by His Holy Spirit to us as Christians. And because it is, it's always there. It is always there. But I must exercise faith and obedience to experience it. There's no need to live a joyless Christian life. We only do so because we choose to. And sometimes it's good to hear that, to bust us out of that place. The good news is that we can choose to do differently from this moment forward. 
by expressing joy by faith. It'll be like anything else. You'll do it by faith, and then it'll be something that will then hook us in our lives. Now, let me close with a word about the importance of safeguarding our joy and the importance of taking responsibility for protecting this thing called joy in our lives as Christians. Since we know that Jesus wants us to walk in joy, we should then identify those things that needlessly rob us of our joy. And then to take those things to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, do you intend these things to be a part of my life? Because I'm not sensing that you're giving me the grace for this circumstance or this situation or this activity or even this relationship. What are some of the things that can needlessly rob us of our joy? Does watching or reading the news always rob you of your joy? You walk away from the television or the computer angry, depressed, fearful. That's something to take a look at then. Is it really worth that price, the expense of your joy, to engage in that activity and to be that fully informed on the nonsense that's going on all around us? Are there certain radio talk shows or television shows that rob you of your joy every time you listen or you watch? As soon as you click it off, you're filled with fear. You're filled with worry and anger. And those shows are completely lawful. All of us, could, we could engage in watching those. They have complete liberty for us to, to engage in those activities. They're entertaining. They're educational in many, many ways. But are they worth costing us our joy in our life? They're tapping us needlessly, tapping us out. Are there certain websites that you go to in order to read all about what's wrong with every Christian ministry and every Christian minister and every church and the whole wide world that then robs you of your joy? And then now here you are, the most well-informed, joyless Christian in a vast sea of well-informed, joyless Christians in the body of Christ. Some Christians needlessly lose their joy because they overwork for the purpose of becoming rich. The Bible speaks against that. Nothing wrong with working hard to put food on the table. There's something wrong with overworking, which is the word the Bible uses, uh, to buy a yacht that you don't need or whatever it might be. And I'm engaged in this thing and I'm going to huff and puff and blow that door down until I have this. And then all of a sudden I stop and I say, you know, I lost all joy in my life when this became a focus in order for me to attain to this. And is it really worth costing us our joy? And one of the greatest ways that we can protect joy in our lives is by running our life and what we allow into our hearts and minds through the same grid that the Apostle Paul ran, everything that went through his heart and his mind through, and that the Holy Spirit tells us to do as well. And it's a familiar passage to many of us. Some passages, I wish we could read them always for the first time, you know, and have them have the impact. But we'll pray for the Spirit to give it that impact. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul wrote, Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And I think that it is easy to consider really obeying that um, 
looking at what Paul wrote there and looking at it as a suggestion instead of a commandment. Oh, yes. I mean, I, sure, I, know, I ought to only think about whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, and whatever things are praiseworthy and noble. But, you know, I've got pretty good margins in my life, and I can dabble there, but I can dabble in all this other stuff that kills my joy. But one day, whether it happens to the whole world at once, or it's a set of circumstances that settle on our lives individually. We don't have the margins to engage in any of these things that needlessly rob us of our joy. And then we draw to that passage and we say, Yes, Lord, I see now. I'm going to need to become very, very strict here in terms of what my spirit and my heart and my mind can process in this life. And as we wait for the Lord's return and we understand something from the Bible about what the world is going to become more and more like as we wait for that day, it's going to be difficult. We're not going to be able to know all of that stuff and process all of that stuff and carry all of that stuff and maintain joy or maintain any kind of emotional or mental health. Each of us can only handle so much negativity in life, and sooner or later we must become self-monitoring in this regard. Otherwise, we will lose our joy. We really do reap what we sow in life, and we want to sow to what nurtures joy within our lives. Allow me to read the passage once again. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble. Now, this is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. I think it's a wonderful word to the wise. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this point, and I'd like them to lead us in a couple of worship songs to just meditate a little bit upon this passage before we leave. And there might be some of